What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. And from the straight.com.au, he's done a terrific job, especially especially covering the sales. I speak of Brent O'Brien. Giddy up zone as well these days. G'day, Brent. Welcome back. Hello, Gareth. Nice to, nice to chat to you from uh, yeah back home today after a big week on the Gold Coast. But it was, as you said, big numbers and certainly plenty of talking points. Yeah. What did you make of the sales? Do you think that Barry Bowditch and the team there from Magic Millions would be happy with what 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 happened there over the last week? Yeah, I think so. I think in, in the end, look, look. I mean, the raw numbers uh, are interesting. You said they're big numbers, but... I guess as the sale wore on, wore on, there was a little bit of softness in the market. Yeah. There was a, a little bit of, I guess, a slight tailing off of where the expectations were. And, I mean, the overall growth of the sale, I mean, so it was down for the first time in a decade. I mean, it dropped 3%, so it's only a small amount. But maybe that's that little bit of realism creeping into the market, Gareth, whereby, yeah, towards the end of the sale, things changed a little bit. Just just, just the buyer behaviour and, and what they're willing to spend. And there's a few sort of key stats within that that sort of point to that as well. So they jumped out of the gates humming. Now, on the first day, I was blown away, but it did get, and the clearance rate, it took a little bit of work from the auctioneers to sell a few of these horses. And there was a few deals done um, after the close of play. So um, I think that was a situation where, as you just pointed out, that um, heading towards the other sales, it might be be a, a, a situation where we just have to, it might be a little bit more difficult for the vendors to sell at the prices that they that that they want. Yeah, exactly right. I and mean, the very top end was strong as ever. The twenty three yeah. million dollar lot for the week. That's the highest ever for the sales. That's a, obviously a great result. But actually, if you drop back a price point to sort of the plus five hundred thousand mark, Gareth, what's really interesting is the amount of horses that sold over five hundred thousand dollars dropped from one hundred and sixteen to ninety seven. Now that's a significant drop, and I think that was probably buyers just watching their budgets a lot closer. Yeah. They probably bought as many horses as they, they might have bought, but they probably paid slightly less for those horses. And I think that's just a reflection of the fact that it's harder to go out there and sell horses. Trainers and syndicators in particular, it's a tough job to go out there every every year and try to sell down the horses they buy at these sales. So I think that's maybe a little bit more you know, risk-averse, which is understandable given the broader economic climate, but also just in terms of, yeah, just the way that they manage how they buy and what they do. And, and it's anecdotally, talking to a couple of people, there were a few who sort of, you know, filled their boots in the first couple of days and then sort of on sort of Thursday, Friday, pulled the handbrake a little bit and said, well, we've got our lot for here. We need to save some uh, some room for the rest of the sales season and I'm um, happy enough with what they've got. And sort of, yeah, and that probably reflected as things got a little bit quieter towards the end of the sale. Having said that, it's an enormous amount of money. You know, it's the third highest uh, aggregate on record for the sale. Every, you know, for book one, it's a very positive outcome in that regard. But you just get that feeling that maybe the rest of the sale season, there could be some, uh, some tough work for vendors out there to try to get the prices they want for their horses. So what did you make? I love this stat on the straight.com.au regarding the states with the New South Wales, Victorian, Queensland and New Zealand buyers. Did it? Did, did you find those stats interesting? You had Victoria and New South Wales, especially New South Wales down big time. Queensland was up um, and New Zealand, hasn't it just jumped out of the ground? It's uh, It's been a resurgence of, of some kind there for New Zealand racing because they were spending up there on the last week on the Gold Coast. Yeah, just firstly on the sort of Victoria and New South Wales thing, I thought that was really interesting because that's yeah. where the majority of buyers come from. Uh, overall spending across those two biggest jurisdictions dropped 9%. Now, um, 
I think that's probably just a sign of, like, okay, as I said before, more cautious space in that majority of that train and syndication space. But what actually happened is the Queensland buyers sort of stepped up into that opportunity and, and actually bought a lot more horses. So they didn't spend more per horse, but they spent more money. And they, overall, they bought more um, more horses, which is a very yeah, a positive move for, for Queensland. New Zealand obviously was driven a lot by David Ellis opening the wallet and yeah. having a big crack and dominating the top end. But there was a lot of other New Zealand buyers up there too. And that really all goes well for Caraca, which will probably be a little bit of an exception in the Australasian market coming forward because of the, the Entain deal last year with the TAB and the subsequent boost of prize money there has really energised that New Zealand market. And I think it will be fascinating to see Caraca, which obviously starts sort of end of next week, start of the yeah. week after, to see what happens there and how that sort of drives the market. But there's, there's definitely some positivity in the New Zealand market, which is great for the broader Australian industry and perhaps might act as a bit of, I guess, a bit of a, a buffer against the challenges we're facing in Australia right now. Andrew Seabrook's done a great job with his team there at New Zealand Bloodstock. And I guess it's a, it's a situation when it comes to supply and demand. And when you have a look at the New Zealand sales, like the ready-to-run sale, I think exceeded a few people's expectations there at the end of last year. But when you have a look at the marketing campaign, um, it, it drives itself. When you've got horses like Golden 60, Lucky Swain S, Sharp and Smart, who was the rating, who's the rating New Zealand horse of the year. Yeah, um, you've got horses like Mr. Brightside that have come out of that sale. It's a no-brainer that you go and have a look at that sale, especially within Asian, the Asian investment heading towards that ready-to-run sale with Lucky Swain S and Golden 60. They're two biggest stars at the moment. And then you have a look at the eight, eight of the last nine championship races there in Sydney were won by New Zealand bred horses. So um, the results speak for themselves and you can get some like it. They're a little bit cheaper than say uh, at the Magic Millions in England. So you would expect them to hold their own once again, you would imagine there. Um, Brent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the other knock on effect, you talk about this, the uh, success of the ready to run sale there in November. What that does is those buyers that, that sorry, those sellers that did very well out of the, the ready-to-run sale, they're cashed up and they come to places like the Australian sales mm-hmm. to buy horses. And Golden 60 is a prime example of a horse that was sold at Magic Millions as a yearling, then re-offered uh, as, a, as a two-year-old as a ready-to-run prospect and obviously then sold to Hong Kong. So those New Zealand buyers came to, that, came to the Gold Coast last week with a renewed confidence bit of money in their pocket knowing that they are, you know, that, that sale is doing extremely well and to find the breeze up market in Australia, Australian's market was very difficult in that space last year. So it's becoming the real specialist market in that space. So that then fuels yielding investment, which then helps build the quality of that flow, which then fuels yielding investment. So that's a really important cycle for the broader yeah. Australian market to have that liquidity of horses coming through. What was your highlight from the sales? There's so many terrific stories. Um, that were coming out of the Magic Million sales, I thought, there on the weekend. But you're a proud Tasmanian, and there was a farm there that continued to deliver the goods. Greenfield Stud, haven't they come a long way? Yeah, it's a terrific story, this. It's actually really a story of a, of a small farm, a family farm, really sort of, you know, trying to step up what they were trying to do. Look outside the square, you know, breed the better breed the better stallions, but also go and acquire better broodmares. And, yeah. and, and, and Bart and Graham McCulloch have done an absolutely awesome effort. Their story last week, the wooden basset story, the, the half to, uh, to to think about it was really like, you know, obviously the one that grabbed the headlines. But the actual better story was the, you know, the, the $30,000, well, the, the mare that they missed out on, on on English Digital. And Graham McCulloch, the, uh, the, the dad, went and went back and said, no, nah, I want that mare. So he went back to the guy that bought off English Digital and said, oh, I'm going to, 
I'll give you another couple of grand. And the guy gave him the horse, and they raced the mare, and she won $100,000 on the track and ran second in the Devonport Cup. And then they said, oh, well, she won 100 grand on the track. That's enough for an exceeding Excel service fee. So they, yeah. they put it to exceeding Excel, which is no cheap effort, uh, took her first filly to the market last week and got $675,000 for it. And that's an awesome result for a farm that's really backed themselves in. And, yeah, there's a bit of proud Tasmania about it, but they're really great people, McCulloch. Bart, the son, is a very, very smart and true operator. Graham's one of the legends of Tasmanian racing, and it's great to see those grassroots farms doing really well on a, you know, on a time when we talk about you know, the rich and famous of the sport sort of yeah. swanning around the Gold Coast to see them do so well. That was my highlight of the week by a long way, Gareth. And you need a little bit of luck, Bren, but if you can work out a plan, you can dream big, that you can definitely make some money and you can mix it with the big guys. And I think Emma Langbeck is a perfect example of that. She's at 24 years of age. She works on her family are in the game. They break in a lot of horses in Queensland. She's based at Bow Desert. She's nearly, I think this is her third house that she'll purchase because of her skills at breeding a thoroughbred. She um, sold a horse on the opening day for $200,000. It was the top lot for North Pacific out of a mare that she sold at the recent broodmare sales last year in, in, in Queensland at the Magic Million sale for 260000 She paid, what, 20000 for that mare. And then she sold that North Pacific colt to Will and Anthony, uh, to, to Will and Richard Friedman for $200,000. So she's made close to a half a million dollars um, from a $20,000 purchase at a broodmare sale. So the stories like that to prove that you can live the dream and you can do it, Brent. It, it, it's hard work. Yeah. You know, you've got to invest over a long time. I go back to Grenville, you know, they've invested, you know, they invested over a million dollars on 20 mares by just upgrading the quality of their mares. But um, it does take a little bit of luck. And, yeah, a lot of things can go wrong and right and wrong. As I said, you know, things can, you know, things can go really well, but things can go really difficult. I mean, last year, Grendel's another example. They were sitting on a two, effectively a $2 million mare, the, the, the dam of, uh, I think about it. And that was a really, you know, an Everest-winning dam. But she, she, unfortunately, she passed away and they lost her. And that was a significant sort of kick in the guts. But you've got to pick yourself up yeah. and you've got to keep going. And actually, this game is as much a test of resilience as it is of the ability to pick a horse. And, um, yeah, that, those stories are great stories, and they do speak to something beyond the million-dollar lots. We talk here a lot about the million-dollar lots, and I'm as guilty as talking about them as anybody else. But down beyond there, especially for the, for the vendors who are doing it every day and the people who provide the, you know, the primary product for this industry, there's some really good stories in there, and there's some people working very hard year on year to try to get the good results. Yeah, we could talk all day, but there was a story that you wrote on the straight.com today, year that broke over the last 24 hours and cash was king, but no longer. So if you head into a tab, um, you can't put cash into a machine. What you need to do is you've got to go up and um, ask for a voucher and then go to the machines. But this is, this rule is coming out of a situation, which is a sad situation. A, a young teenager at 16 years of age spent a hundred thousand dollars and then some people came knocking, looking for the money, and his mum had to mortgage their house and max out their credit card. Um, but this is a one-off situation. Has there been an overreaction to the, to Tabcorp um, moving to do this, or do you think that this just this is just the, the times these days, and we got to expect more of it? Well, it's an interesting one. It was mentioned to me by someone in the corporate bookmaking sector a couple of months ago as a bit of a loophole whereby the corporate bookmakers have to do a lot of any money and laundering and know your customer uh, limitations. Like they have, to, they have to work through all those things before you get an account. Yet you could still go into a, into a tab and if you found the right machine which wasn't, didn't have its eye on by someone, you, can, you could yeah, put money through as much as you want. Now that loophole has been cut out. 
probably 70% of machines which are uh, described as unsupervised betting machines. So they're machines you can walk into a pub, I guess, and, or, or whatever, and, and just put your money through or whatever. Yeah. That won't happen anymore. You have to go and get your, your voucher. So I guess that from a broader point of view and from the actual the overall harm minimisation point of view, it makes sense from that point of view. However, for the day-to-day partner that just like to go in and not have the hassle and put a bit of cash on the machine and have their bets on a Saturday, um, it certainly will be an imposition and it certainly will, I guess, uh, annoy a few people. Now, whether whether this is a one-off case or whether there's other cases, we don't know. This is a, obviously quite a significant one-off case, but it is a big change. And the old days of cash being king and cash in the betting ring and all that sort of stuff, what happens with yeah. that? And, you know, what happens with bookmakers on track? How do, how do they assess now your customer requirements and all that sort of stuff? And you know, the anti-money laundering stuff, which has formed a lot of the basis of this. So it's, a, it's a, I guess, a sign of the times, but I guess it's a, a milestone moment where for the majority of people, you can't just walk into a tab anymore, put your, put your cash on the machine and have a bet. You've got to go and get a voucher, then come back and put the money in and all that sort of stuff. And I guess that's just another barrier. And with how that affects turnover, we don't know. But you know, in, a, yeah. in, in, a, in, a, in a world which is complicated enough trying to put a bet on, uh, it certainly doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make that much of a difference. It's probably quicker, to, to tell you the truth. If you go to a tab and you want to, um, you want to put 500, 1,000, 200 through the, the, the system, it's bloody annoying when you put it in that the, the 50s or the 20s keep jumping back out of you because it's not reading the note. So it's just as easy as going to the, the, the customer, I mean, to to the desk and, and getting a voucher and moving on. Hey, um, Brent, we'll catch up on Wednesday. So, so much debate as well coming out of the, the Magic Millions on the weekend. And I think the barrier tendon issue is something that we'll, we'll bring up as well because James McDonald was strong on that, wasn't he, regarding that they do a mighty job, but they need more support. And racing needs to have a look at that. Yeah, there's a few challenges there, and uh, yeah, that was obviously a big delay on the weekend, and thankfully yeah. the horse was all right. But yeah, it was a it was a significant issue and something that that you can't do without. Barry Tennant's play is such a key key part of our sport, don't they, Gareth? Yeah, hundred percent. Good on you, Brent. And we can catch all of your um, information and thestraight.com.au. You've been dominating, and you'll talk of the Magic Millions as well. This new publication, Flying Brent. Uh, trying our best, getting getting the word out there. The Magic Millions is a great opportunity to talk to people about what we what we do and 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 you know why we're different to what else is out there in the market. So yeah, it was great to be out there. It was good to see you out there and really sort of you know see the enthusiasm for what we're doing and the broader enthusiasm in the industry. Good on you, mate. Thanks for that, Brent. Have a good day. We'll catch up with you on Wednesday. Thanks, Gareth. There's Brent.